0: Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God, our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today's meditation comes from the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, starting at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. To be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him should receive forgiveness of sins through his name. So far the reading of God's word. Today we are going to be looking at a text that kind of marks a defining moment in the history of the church. Uh, what happened in today's text uh, kind of takes this burgeoning, what we might call a Jesus movement, in a whole new direction, or if you will, it kind of takes it to a whole new level. What began as kind of a sect of what we might call Judaism was now to become its own entity and the primary vehicle through which God would work for the remainder of history. It's really the beginning of what we know today as the Christian church. You could say that Acts chapter 10 shows us that the uh, Jesus movement was not intended to be kind of a single little mom-and-pop deal in a small Jerusalem neighborhood, but that it would soon become an international conglomerate of communities of all shapes and sizes and cultures and styles that would ultimately span the globe. Here in Acts chapter 10, it challenges us to kind of move beyond the small-minded limited thinking of mere mortals, and urges us that we move forward toward the all-encompassing, unlimited thinking of God. Now, if you've been here for all six of these messages to this point, we've been talking about how we uh, as individuals and how we as a church can make a dent in this world where we live. And today we're going to talk a little bit about living without borders and developing kind of a without-borders uh, philosophy of ministry. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of background to the text I read to you. What, what's happened here is that Peter was praying one day on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner in Joppa. And while he was up there praying, he had this vision where this giant sheep came out of heaven, and it contained all sorts of four-footed animals, reptiles and birds, in other words, every animal that all Jews were forbidden to eat in their Jewish diet. But a voice says, Peter, kill and eat. Now Peter, uh you know, I'm not sure, you know, probably if it had been me, I'd have said, you know, how gross <laughs> are you kidding me? But his response was, Absolutely not. I, I've never ever eaten anything unclean and I never will. And then that voice came back and said, Peter, don't call anything impure that God has called or made clean. Now, this happens three different times. And then suddenly there was a knock at the door. And when Peter went down, he found three men who had come to invite him to visit the home of a devout Gentile, whose name was Cornelius, who wanted to hear about Jesus. And for a multitude of reasons... Uh, Jews were not allowed to enter the home of a Gentile. And uh, they would have considered that to be ritually unclean. Uh, And especially they were not allowed to eat with Gentiles. And Peter realized, of course, that there was some connection between this vision he had and the invitation he just, uh, just received. So he agrees to go to this Gentile's house. And when he gets there, he tells Cornelius about Jesus and how to be saved. Now, in the Bible in the book of Acts at that moment the writer tells us that literally all heaven broke loose in Cornelius's home. The Holy Spirit filled Cornelius, the Holy Spirit filled all of his Gentile friends and they all began speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, "These men have received the Holy Spirit just as we did on Pentecost." Clearly God is behind this. Let's baptize them all in the name of Jesus. We know that they baptized Cornelius and his entire household servants and all. That's exactly what they did. Now, this may seem like a simple little story, but it's a whole lot more than that, because if we move on in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 11, Peter was called on the carpet. He was forced to go back to Jerusalem and talk to the other apostles, uh, an answer for his actions because he had done a very unorthodox thing and that was going into the house of a Gentile and then on top of it eating with that Gentile and then allowing that Gentile to become part of their Christian fellowship without first converting to Judaism which would have meant for all males that they would have had to been circumcised. So Peter went and after they listened to his story about the vision on the roof and everything, the church leaders actually concurred that, yes, this is a move of God, and we better get on board with it. And at that moment, the Christian church uh, became a church without borders, and it became a ministry without limits. I mean, they were poised now to suddenly go after this great commission that Jesus had given them in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. And they they were poised to fulfill the promise that Jesus had spoken to them. He said, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. There you go. So that's what Jesus had in mind for his followers. And that's where we need to pick things up today. So for this morning, I just want to talk about living a life without borders. And as we move toward this ideal, I'm going to share three different observations with you. And the first of these is this, is that well, while we are always looking for a way to exclude others, God is always looking for a way to bring us together. Now, I've got news for you. Racism is not a 21st century idea. Uh, racism was already operating back in the first century mindset, as well as cultural elitism. I mean, the idea that many first century Jews was that they were better than non-Jews and that non-Jews were dirty, they were immoral, they were barbaric, they were uncouth, you know, every other nasty thing you could say about them. There was this idea that Jews, simply by virtue of their Jewishness, were favored by God and that Gentiles, simply by virtue of their uh, Gentileness, were, to put it lightly, Less than favored by God, if not completely despised. That's why I put on your outline this ancient prayer that devout Jews would pray every day. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, for not having made me a Gentile. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, for not having made me a slave. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, for not having made me a woman. Sorry, ladies, but this is the Jewish prayer in the first century. They believed that, as Jewish men, they were a little bit better, they were a little bit more favored than everybody else in the world. There were Jewish men, and then there were the rest of you in declining order. Now, as we well know, elitism was not exclusively a Jewish problem. On the other side of the coin... There were many other nations in that day that considered themselves better than Jews in every measurable way. And this attitude could seem, we go all the way back to ancient Egypt. Now, it's always been that way in this world. And you might ask yourself why. Well, it, it, it's spelled S-I-N. I mean, that's sin. Uh, every tribe, every race, every nation that's ever been in this world has looked for ways to exclude other people from what they consider to be a special group. It happens not only across racial lines, it even happens within races themselves. One group will look down on another group of their own race uh, based on some type kind of distinction, let's say maybe related to their accent or to the shade of their skin or where their ancestors were born. I mean, certainly you've all heard of hillbillies. I mean, hillbillies, as far as I know, are white like other people, but see, even within the white crowd, we have lesser crowds, that we would say. Or we have people that I've heard some people refer to some folks as uppity. Well, yeah, we just keep separating. We're always looking for a way somehow to put people in another fence to exclude them. And when it isn't based on race, it's sometimes based on socioeconomic factors. They're not in the same class we are. Or they're not even in the, they're not one of us. See, the message of the gospel and the goal of the church is that we are not separated into us and them. We are one in Christ. There is only we. That's why Paul told the Galatians who were, by the way, were trying to separate people. They were trying to force Gentiles who were turning to Christ to become circumcised. And Paul says, whoa, what are you doing? You know, if, they, if they're coming to Christ by faith, why are you now saying that they need to go back and do the law so that they can earn their way into become a full, complete Christian? He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, i got to tell you, that statement is not particularly shocking to us today. But guess what? When that was said in Paul's day, there would have been people who would have heard that they would have gasped. You know, when you read a book of the Bible like Galatians, you have to understand it was a letter that was read to a church. And what I've learned since I'm studying the book of Galatians right now is that you've got to listen to it like you're sitting in church that day hearing this said. And I want you to picture this that day. That as the rabbi was sitting in front, perhaps reading Paul's letter, the rest of the congregation was standing, and they would have been men in front, and the women would be in the back minding their own business, supposedly. And they would have had their, their, their church kind of subdivided into the halves and the halves not. And he said, there's no, neither no Jew or Greek. And people would have gone, What? You're, you're putting us on the same level with Greeks. We know they're barbarians in certain places, and there's no difference between slaves and free people. I mean, they would have gone, "What?" I mean, I hope my slave doesn't hear that. Now, there's no difference between male and female, and you probably would have even heard "What?" shouted out of the congregation, and you might have heard a little bit of cheering from the back row of the women going. Speak it, Paul. Speak it. You're all one in Christ Jesus. I'm going to take a slightly different bit. How many of you ever heard the Dr. Seuss story of the Sneetches? Anybody know that story? How many of you actually know the story of the Sneetches? Okay. Three of us. Okay, And even the little one knows the Sneetch story. Okay. <laughs> They're funny shaped little creatures. Uh, funny little yellow creatures. Uh, they were all yellow, but some of them had a green star on their belly. So that those with the stars, those snitches with the stars, uh, believed that they were better than other people's snitches without the stars. Now, along came a rather enterprising businessman whose name was Sylvester McMonkey Metbean. He had a special machine that could, for the price of $3, put a star on the belly of all the rest of the snitches who had no star, which suddenly made the original belly-starred Sneeches no longer all that special. And then Sylvester McMonkey McBean introduced another machine that, for the price of only $10, could remove the green star completely. Now, all of the Sneeches who originally uh, had stars were now paying to have the stars removed. And at one point in the story... Uh, Sneetches were running back and forth, having stars put on and stars taken off, trying to keep up with what they thought was fashionable. All the while, Mr. McBean was getting rich off of their vanity. Now, you may say, what's that all about? Well, you know, when you read that children's story, we're able to spot the foolishness in it right off. But we're not always able to spot our own foolishness. We're not always able to continue to look for ways where we, too, consider ourselves more superior than other people. Now, I've seen this in the Christian community. I've seen it in our attitudes across denominational lines. I remember being in a pastor's meeting one time, and I heard a fellow pastor say, referring to another church in the community, as one of those seeker Sensitive atrocities. Now, I have a hard time considering a fellow faith community that preaches Jesus Christ and him crucified as an atrocity just because the style of that church is a little bit different than the style of the church I happen to be in. And actually, he found out what kind of church I was in, so I guess I fell under the category of that seeker-sensitive atrocity. See, one of the things that we learn and observe from the story here in Acts chapter 10 is that while we're always looking for ways to kind of exclude other people or compartmentalize other people, what's God doing? God's urging us to come back together again. A number of weeks ago, I shared this quote from John Wesley in one of our messages. I think it's good for us to be reminded. He says, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike. I mean, may we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion, without all doubt we may. Herein, all the children of God may unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences. It just tears my heart, and I'm sure that God is not all that pleased to realize that not even Christian churches that are a little bit different stripe than you and I can't get along and cooperate at least on some level without sacrificing our doctrines. This is the way we as a church need to do churches, the way that we as individuals just need to treat each other with an attitude that says, I consider myself uh, better than no one else. Why? Because we're all on the same level at the foot of the cross. We're all the same in the eyes of God. Here's the second thing I think we learned from this text. And that's why we're always looking to keep God in the box. God insists on moving outside the box. When we were at Lord of Life, our church was located in the town of La Fox, Illinois. And our church that we built kind of looked like a box. And every once in a while, people would say, you know, God lives in a box in La Fox. Well, no, God did not live in a box. I mean, God does not live in this church. I mean, God can be anywhere where God chooses to be. Although his promises that were two or three are gathered in his name, there he is with them. Now, see, there were many first century Christians who could quote for you, chapter and verse, why you had to follow Old Testament diet and rituals and customs. They had scriptures to back it all up. Their attitude was, God said it, that settles it. The only problem was, is that they were conveniently overlooking all the texts that indicated that some of these Old Testament customs and precepts were bound in time and limited in scope. That though these things were part of the small picture, they were not part of the big picture. So even David, you know, one of their, one of their great heroes said, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear, burnt offering and sin offering, you have not required. See, he was giving us an insight into a deeper picture of what a relationship is all about. See, God reveals us, reveals himself to us in scripture. I mean, you want to get to know God better? I mean, know His Son Jesus. How do you know Jesus better? He reveals that in, in the Bible. But I want you to understand something very important. Scripture does not tell us all there is to know about God for one simple reason. It's absolutely impossible for us to know all there is about God. I mean, after all, God is God, and we aren't. We're human beings. Now, for example, you can take a, a simple piece of machinery like a can opener, or even a computer, or even a car, and you can ultimately know everything you need to know or that you can know about that. You can define it, you can describe it, you can put it in a box, and it will never move beyond the boundaries of that box because you know everything there is to know about that. The can opener will always be a can opener. It's not gonna surprise you one day when you open the box and it's a jackhammer, or a reading lamp, it will always stay, whatever it is, in the confines of that box. But sometimes, do we not try to do the same thing with God? To put him in a nice, neat little box. Have you ever started a sentence this way? Boy, if I were God, what were you doing? You were putting him in your own little box. If I were God, I would never do that. If I were God, this is what I would do. See, so we try to define God according to our lists, to a list of laws and attributes. We try to reduce him to a concept that we can kind of wrap our little brains around. And we say with great authority that God does this and that he doesn't do this and he'll never do that. And we try to tuck him away in a convenient little box that is small enough for our feeble little pea-sized brains to comprehend. But here's, here's the problem with that. When you put God in a box, pretty soon you find you're left with nothing but an empty box. Because God is too great to be contained and far too great for us to comprehend. We need to get used to the idea that sometimes God moves outside the box. We need to realize that sometimes God does things that are way beyond our limited ability to understand. Now, there were some people in the first century who said, God will never give the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. Because we had God in this little box, the little Jewish box. Others probably said, well, maybe he will, but only if they convert to Judaism first and get circumcised and follow all of the Old Testament requirements. That box. Still others probably said, and even if he does, they will always be second class citizens in the kingdom of God. Another kind of box. Now, what they did not anticipate is that God planned to do something not in their little boxes, but something that was way outside the box, way outside their limited understanding. It was far greater than they could have ever imagined. Now, here's what I'm getting at. God has revealed himself to us in the Bible. He's even revealed to us much of his plan for human history. But we don't even begin to know all there is to know about God. And we cannot know all that there is to know about God. He's infinite, beyond complete understanding. And because of that, sometimes God actually moves outside that box of our understanding. He works in such ways that he stretches us to take a fresh look at his word. He goes outside that box and we have to take a fresh look at ourselves and at the world we live in. Because God is not some sort of a machine that we can confine to a certain place. See, when we try to find ways where we make God seem predictable, we need to come to the grips of the fact that God refuses to be predictable. You see Isaiah 58, 55a, For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts. We're incapable, you know, we are trying to become more God-like, that's why, for sure, more Christ-like, but we'll never achieve that in this, in this world. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. I'm on a different level than you folks are. That's what God says through Isaiah. And here's the third thing. Is that while we're looking for a way to get God on board with our plans, God is calling us to get on board with his plans. Do you believe that God has a plan for this church? Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe that God has a plan for his church overall? Sure. Now, there might have been some people way back in the early church, the early days, whose attitude was, well, let's kind of keep this local. I mean, let's kind of keep our ties to Judaism. Let's ask God to bless our little group right here where we are. Let's not try to take it any further than where it is now. But see, God always has a different plan. His plan was that the church of Jesus the Christ would carry the message of the gospel throughout the entire world, throughout history, crossing all boundaries, breaking all barriers, so that all could experience this new life in Jesus the Christ. See, after all the events of today's story took place, when the Gentile household was saved, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, the leaders of the church were faced with a choice. Resist what God was doing... Or get on board and go along for the ride. Or as somebody told me one time, is maybe you should ride shotgun and let God do the driving. Or better yet, sit in the back seat and keep your mouth shut. And praise God, they made the right choice. They got on board with God's plan. See, every church, absolutely every church, and every believer will at one time or another face a similar choice. Are we going to do it? Do this our way or are we going to do it God's way? Are we asking God to get on board with our plans or are we seeking God so that we know his will and we hear the Holy Spirit speak to us and we follow where he is leading? I mean, it's been said that we ought to see where God is working and go and join him rather than to ask him to countersign all of our plans. Dare I ever ask, have you ever been to a church meeting where you sat around and made all these plans and then somebody said, maybe we should pray about this now? We've all been there. No, we've all been there. I mean, in your own personal life, have you ever come up with different ideas and finally say, well, maybe now we should pray about this? Well, sure you should. But including at the beginning, the middle, the end. See, personally, I struggle with this. Uh, and Sometimes I feel like I get more wrong than I actually get right. I kind of tend to have a a tendency to make plans and ask God to sign up on the dotted line. And then when I kind of charge off full speed ahead before too long, I I can sometimes almost turn around and find myself saying, uh, God, where are you? come Come on, God, can't you keep up with me? I run a little bit faster, God. And there have been many times that he has said to me, in effect, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm way over here. Why don't you come over here and join me for a while? Now, I think every church has that tendency. I think every Christ follower has that tendency. We make plans and ask God to bless this itty-bitty little thing that we want to do. And meanwhile, he is saying, I've got something, friends, so much, much bigger in mind. Isaiah 43 is a wonderful passage. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. See, there is one thing you 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 can take to the bank. You can be absolutely sure of. The plans that we make for ourselves are no match for the plans that God has for us. That's why Paul said this to the Christians at Ephesus. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Did you get that? The the power is in you. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now the question is, how do all three of these observations I've shared with you come together in one idea? Well, here's how. Understand that God is calling us to live a life without borders. No borders in who we love or how we love. No borders in faith. No borders in obedience. See, there's no limit to where we'll go or who we will reach for the glory of Jesus the Christ. We are on a journey. This church is on a journey. Each and every one of you is on a journey. Where that journey goes, wouldn't you like to know where it goes? Wouldn't you like to know where you'll be in the next two years, five years, ten years, God willing? I would. Do you always know? No. So where do you get any comfort? It's in knowing that God's already there. God is way, way ahead of you. And you just say, come on, keep following me. Follow me. Let me show the way. There's no limit to where we will go or who we're going to reach for the glory of Jesus the Christ. So may God be with us and bless us on this journey of living life without borders. For we pray it in his precious name. Amen.